A short account of the history of mathematics by W. W. Rouse Ball. Chapter 1. Egyptian and Phoenician Mathematics. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This is a reading by Paul King. pjk.scripts.mit.edu forward slash pkj. A short account of the history of mathematics. Chapter 1. Egyptian and Phoenician Mathematics. The history of mathematics cannot with certainty be traced back to any school or period before that of the Ionian Greeks, but the subsequent history may be divided into three periods, the distinctions between which are tolerably well marked. The first period is that of the history of mathematics under Greek influence. This is discussed in chapters 2 to 7. The second is that of the mathematics of the Middle Ages and the Renaissance, and this is discussed in chapters 8 to 13. The third is that of the modern mathematics, and this is discussed in chapters 14 to 19. Although the history commences with that of the Ionian schools, there is no doubt that those Greeks who first paid attention to mathematics were largely indebted to the previous investigations of the Egyptians and the Phoenicians. This chapter is accordingly devoted to a statement of what is known concerning the mathematical attainments of those races, but our acquaintance with the subject is so imperfect that the following notes must be regarded merely as a brief summary of the conclusions which seemed to me most probable. The actual history of mathematics begins with the next chapter. On the subject of prehistoric mathematics, we may observe in the first place that, though all early races which have left records behind them knew something of numeration and mechanics, and though the majority were also acquainted with the elements of land surveying, yet the rules which they possessed were in general founded only in the results of observation and experiment, and were neither deduced from nor did they form part of any science. The fact, then, that various nations in the vicinity of Greece had reached a high state of civilization does not justify us in assuming that they had studied mathematics. The only races with whom the Greeks of Asia Minor, amongst whom our history begins, were likely to have come into frequent contact were those inhabiting the eastern littoral of the Mediterranean, and Greek tradition uniformly assigned the special development of geometry to the Egyptians, and that of the science of numbers either to the Egyptians or to the Phoenicians. I will consider these subjects separately. First, as to the science of numbers. So far as the acquirements of the Phoenicians on the subject are concerned, it is impossible to speak with any certainty. The magnitude of the commercial transactions of Tyre and Sidon must have necessitated a considerable development of arithmetic, to which it is probable the name of science might properly be applied. According to Strabo, the Tyrians paid particular attention to the sciences of numbers, navigation, and astronomy. They had, we know, considerable commerce with their neighbors and kinsmen, the Chaldeans, and Bach says they regularly supplied the weights and measures used in Babylon. 
Now the Chaldeans had certainly paid some attention to arithmetic and geometry, as is shewn by their astronomical calculations, and whatever was the extent of their attainments in arithmetic, it is almost certain that the Phoenicians were equally proficient, while it is likely that the knowledge of the latter, such as it was, was communicated to the Greeks. On the whole, I am inclined to think that the early Greeks were largely indebted to the Phoenicians for their knowledge of practical arithmetic or the art of calculation. It is perhaps worthy of note that Pythagoras was a Phoenician, and according to Herodotus, but this is more doubtful, Thales was also of that race. Next, as to the arithmetic of the Egyptians. Their civilization, and in particular their astronomical calculations, have been generally accepted as implying that they were fairly proficient in the science of numbers. But about twenty-five years ago a hieratic papyrus, forming part of the Rhind collection in the British Museum, was deciphered, and this has thrown considerable light on the mathematical attainments of the Egyptians. The manuscript was written by a priest named Ames, somewhere between the years 1700 BC and 1100 BC, and is believed to be itself a copy with emendations of an older treatise of about 3400 BC. The work is called Directions for Knowing All Dark Things, and consists of a collection of problems in arithmetic and geometry. The answers are given, but in general, not the process by which they are obtained. The first part deals with the reduction of fractions in the form of 2 divided by 2n plus 1 to a sum of fractions whose numerators are each unity. For example, Ames states 2 divided by 29 is a sum of 1 over 24, 1 over 58, 1 over 74, and 1 over 232. And 2 over 97 is a sum of 1 over 56, 1 over 679, and 1 over 776. In all examples, n is less than 50. Probably he had no rule for forming the component fractions, and the answers given represent the accumulated experiences of many previous writers. In one solitary case, however, he has indicated his method for, after having asserted that two-thirds is a sum of one-half plus one-sixth, he adds that therefore two-thirds of one-fifth is equal to the sum of a half of a fifth and a sixth of a fifth, that is, one over ten plus one over thirty. The next part of the book is devoted to examples in division and subtraction. Amas then proceeds to the solution of some simple numerical equations. For example, he says, heap its seventh, its whole it makes nineteen, which means, find a number such that the sum of it and one-seventh of it shall be together equal to nineteen. And he gives us the answer, sixteen plus one-half plus one over eight, which is correct. The latter part of the book contains various geometrical problems to which I allude later. He concludes the work with some arithmetico-algebraical questions, two of which deal with arithmetical progressions, and seem to indicate that he knew how to sum such series. This appears to represent the most advanced arithmetic to which the Egyptians became acquainted. At any rate, it is all that they communicated to the Greeks. Throughout the work, Amaz rarely explains the process by which he arrives at a result. 
but in one numerical example where he requires to multiply a certain number say a by thirteen he points out the method he has used in this instance he first multiplied two and got two a and then he doubled the result and got four a and then he again doubled the result and got eight a and lastly he added together a four a and eight a a process strictly analogous to what is now called practice the arithmetical part of the papyrus indicates that amas had some idea of algebraic symbols the unknown quantity is always represented by the symbol which means a heap addition is represented by a pair of legs walking forwards and subtraction by a pair of legs walking backwards or by a flight of arrows and equality by the sign one that looks like a less than or equal to sign which is upside down as we shall see in the next chapters the greeks shewed no aptitude for algebra and it was not until the development of mathematics passed again into the hands of members of a semitic race that any considerable progress was made in the subject a large part of Ahmes's arithmetic is devoted to fractions. It may be noticed in passing that the treatment of fractions presented great difficulty to all early races. The Egyptians and Greeks reduced a fraction to the sum of several fractions, in each of which the numerator was unity, so that they had to consider only the various denominators. The sole exception to this rule being the fractions two-thirds and three-quarters this remained the greek practice until the sixth century of our era the romans on the other hand generally kept the denominator constant and equal to twelve expressing the fraction approximately as so many twelfths the babylonians did the same in astronomy except that they used sixty as the constant denominator and from them through the greeks the modern division of a degree into sixty equal parts is derived thus in one way or the other the difficulty of having to consider changes in both numerator and denominator was evaded before leaving the question of early arithmetic i should mention that for practical purposes the almost universal use of the abacus or swan pan rendered it easy to add and subtract or even to multiply and divide without any knowledge of theoretical arithmetic these instruments will be described later in chapter seven it will be sufficient here to say that they afford a concrete way of representing a number in the, in the decimal scale and enable the results of addition and subtraction to be obtained by a merely mechanical process this coupled with a means of representing the result in writing was all that was required in primitive times second as to the science of geometry geometry is supposed to have had its origin in land surveying but while it is difficult to say when the study of numbers and calculations some knowledge of which is essential in any civilized state became a science it is comparatively easy to distinguish between the abstract reasonings of geometry and the practical rules of land surveying the principles of land surveying must have been understood from very early times but the universal tradition of antiquity asserted that the origin of geometry must be sought in egypt 
that it was not indigenous to greece and that it arose from the necessity of surveying is rendered the more probable by the derivation of the word from the earth and i measure the greek geometricians as far as we can judge by their extant works always dealt with the science as an abstract one they sought for theorems which should be absolutely true and would have argued that to measure quantities in terms of a unit which might have been incommensurable with some of the magnitudes considered would have made the results mere approximations to the truth the name does not therefore refer to their practice it is not however unlikely that it indicates the use which was made of geometry among the egyptians from whom the greeks learned it this also agrees with the greek traditions which in themselves appear probable for herodotus states that the periodical inundations of the nile which swept away the landmarks in the valley of the river and by altering its bed increased or decreased the taxable value of the adjoining lands rendered a tolerably accurate system of surveying ground indispensable and thus led to a systematic study of the subject by the priests the egyptians certainly studied geometry a small piece of evidence which tends to shew that the phoenicians and jews had not paid much attention to it is to be found in the mistake made in one kings chapter seven verse twenty three and two chronicles chapter four verse two where it is stated that the circumference of a circle is three times its diameter the babylonians also assumed that pi was equal to three assuming then that a knowledge of geometry was first derived by the greeks from egypt we must next discuss the range and nature of egyptian geometry for any accurate amount of this we have to rely on the rind papyrus mentioned above this as i have already stated was probably a summary of the information which was familiar to the priests and was not a book of research at any rate we have reason to believe that some of the, some time before the year 2000 BC, that is, some centuries before it was written, the following method of obtaining a right angle was used in laying out the ground plan of certain buildings. The Egyptians were, we know, very particular about the exact orientation of their temples, and they had therefore to obtain with accuracy a north and a south line and also an east and a west line by observing the points on the horizon where a star rose and set and taking a plane midway between them they could obtain a north and a south line to get an east and a west line which had to be drawn at right angles to this certain professional rope fasteners were employed who stretched a rope round three pegs the two of them which were nearest together being fixed along the north and south line so that the sides of the triangle formed were in the ratio three four five the angle opposite the longest side would then be a right angle a similar method is constantly used at the present time by practical engineers this property can be deduced as a particular case of euclid 148 and there is reason to think that the egyptians were acquainted with the results of this proposition and of euclid 147 for triangles whose sides are in the ratio mentioned above they must also there is little doubt have known that the latter proposition was true for an isosceles right-handed triangle and that it is obvious if a floor be paved with tiles of that shape 
but though these are interesting facts in the history of the egyptian arts we must not press them too far as shewing that geometry was then studied as a science our real knowledge of the nature of egyptian geometry depends almost entirely on the rhind papyrus and therefore at the earliest does not go further back than the year seventeen hundred b c Amas commences that part of the papyrus which deals with geometry by giving several numerical instances of the contents of barns. Unluckily, we do not know what was the usual shape of an Egyptian barn, but where it is defined by three linear measurements, say A, B, and C, the answer is always given as if he had formed the expression A times B times open bracket C plus half C closed bracket he next proceeds to find the areas of certain rectilineal figures in some of which he's certainly wrong and then to find the area of a circular field of diameter twelve no unit of length being mentioned in the latter case he gives the area as open bracket d minus one ninth d quantity squared where d is the diameter of the circle this is equivalent to taking 3.1604 as the value of pi, the actual value being very approximately 3.1416. Lastly, Amas gives some problems on pyramids. These long proved incapable of interpretation, but Cantor and Eisenlohr have shown that Amas was attempting to find by means of data obtained from the measurement of some of the external dimensions of a building, the ratio of certain other dimensions which could not be directly measured his process is equivalent to determining the trigonometrical ratios of certain angles the data and the results given agree closely with the dimensions of some of the existing pyramids it is noticeable that all the specimens of egyptian geometry which we possess deal only with particular numerical problems and not with general theorems, and even if a result be stated as universally true, it was probably proved to be so only by a wide induction. We shall see later that Greek geometry was from its commencement deductive. There are reasons for thinking that Egyptian geometry and arithmetic made little or no progress subsequent to the date of Amaz's work and though for nearly two hundred years after the time of thales egypt was recognized by the greeks as an important school for mathematics it would seem that almost from the foundation of the ionian school the greeks outstripped their former teachers it may be added that Amaz's book gives us much that idea of Egyptian mathematicians which we should have gathered from statements about it by the various Greek and Latin authors, some of whom lived nearly fifteen centuries later. Previous to its translation, it was commonly thought that these statements exaggerated the acquirements of the Egyptians, and its discovery must increase the weight to be attached to the testimony of these authorities. We know nothing of the applied mathematics, if there were any, of the Egyptians or Phoenicians. The astronomical attainments of the Egyptians and Chaldeans were no doubt considerable, though they were chiefly the results of observation. The Phoenicians are said to have confined themselves to studying what was required for navigation. Astronomy, however, lies outside of the range of this book. 
I do not like to conclude the chapter without a brief mention of the Chinese, since at one time it was asserted that they were familiar with the sciences of arithmetic, geometry, mechanics, optics, navigation, and astronomy nearly 3,000 years ago and a few writers were inclined to suspect for no evidence was forthcoming that some knowledge of this learning had filtered across asia to the west it is indeed almost certain that the chinese were then acquainted with several geometrical or rather architectural implements such as the rule square compass and level with a few mechanical machines such as the wheel and axle that they knew of the characteristic property of the magnetic needle and were aware that astronomical events occurred in cycles. But the careful investigations of L. A. Cédio have shown that the Chinese of that time had made no serious attempt to classify or extend the few rules of arithmetic or geometry which they knew, or to explain the causes of the phenomenon with which they were acquainted. The idea that the Chinese had made considerable progress in theoretical mathematics seems to have been due to a misapprehension of the Jesuit missionaries who went to China in the 16th century. In the first place, they failed to distinguish between the original science of the Chinese and the views which they found prevalent on their arrival the latter being found on the work and teaching of Arab missionaries who had come to China in the course of the 13th century, and while there introduced the knowledge of spherical trigonometry. In the second place, finding that one of the most important government departments was known as the Board of Mathematics, they supposed that its function was to promote and superintend mathematical studies in the empire. Its duties were really confined to the annual preparation of an almanac, the dates and predictions in which regulated many affairs both in public and domestic life. All extant specimens of this almanac are extraordinarily inaccurate and defective. The only geometrical theorem with which, as far as I am aware, the ancient Chinese were acquainted was that in certain cases, namely when the ratio of the sides was 3, 4, 5, or 1, 1, root 2, the area of the square described on the hypotenuse of a right-angled triangle is equal to the sum of the areas of the squares described on the sides. It is barely possible that a few geometrical theorems which can be demonstrated in the quasi-experimental way of superposition were also known to them. Their arithmetic was decimal in notation, but their knowledge seems to have been confined to the art of calculation by means of the swan pen and the power of expressing the results in writing. Our acquaintance with the early attainments of the Chinese, slight though it is, is more complete than in the case of most of their contemporaries. It is thus specially instructive and serves to illustrate the fact that a nation may possess considerable skill in the applied arts, while they are almost entirely ignorant of the sciences on which those arts are founded. From the foregoing summary it will be seen that our knowledge of the mathematical attainments of those who preceded the Greeks is very limited, but we may reasonably infer that from one source or another the early Greeks learned as much mathematics as is contained or implied in the rhind papyrus, and it is probable 
that they were not acquainted with much more. In the next six chapters I shall trace the development of mathematics under Greek influence. End of chapter 1